another edition of Making Money with the Financial Coach, Ron Hebert, Retired Portfolio Manager. I'm Gordon Whitehead, a retired broadcaster. Ron, a very timely topic this week on Making Money because it seems to be almost omnipresent in the news. That's Bitcoin and then slash cryptocurrencies. And we're going to talk about that today because uh, I think it's very timely because we're starting to see it looked on as an investment product. We're starting to see mutual funds and ETFs that are devoted exclusively to cryptocurrency. So what I wanted to do this show was just talk about should you own it? And if you decide to, what are its pros and cons so that you can sort of try and separate out the hype from the reality. And if you are going to decide that you, you want an investment position or take a position in, in cryptocurrency, uh, you're at least going to go in with your head up and understand that a lot of what's going on out there is simply hype. What, this is one of those situations, Ron, where I think some of us might know somebody who got into Bitcoin early on, as I do. I know a couple of people that did. And, and you sit back and you say, boy, I wish I'd done that. Because it's, it's just risen spectacularly from when it first came on stream, right? We've seen tremendous appreciation in Bitcoin. In the previous five years, ending December 31st, 2020, so I took it, the appreciation of Bitcoin to the, to the end of the year, U.S. stocks were up 14.5% per year in the previous five, and that's excellent performance. But Bitcoin rose 131% per year over the last five years. So literally, Bitcoin has eclipsed virtually everything in performance, and that's why everybody's looking at it front row and center right now. So is it is it protection with what we think is coming? We've talked so much about the fact that inflation seems to be sitting out there on the sidelines getting ready to kick in. Would this be protection against inflation in some people's minds? It certainly seems that way. Well, when you look at inflation, we've had real estate inflation, we've had stock inflation, and we've had bond inflation. So investment assets have gone up. Also, collectibles have gone up. So we've seen tremendous inflation in investments. This has not translated so far into inflation in wages and cost inflation of most goods that we're, we're buying. I mean, we are seeing inflation, but we're not seeing double-digit inflation or runaway inflation on any of the goods we're buying, and it's certainly not in wages. But you wonder what is going to happen because the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve, which is the U.S. Bank, has grown by eight times, really, in the last 12 years. The European Central Bank, their balance sheet has grown by four times. And the Bank of Japan has increased by seven times. So they are buying bonds. They are taking in currency. They have literally are expanding the money supply at an incredible rate. And historically, when this has happened, we've seen inflation. And we've seen inflation that has crept up on everybody, sort of stealth. Then all of a sudden, it blows out. And some think that crypto is the digital replacement for gold as a hedge against inflation. And I guess if we actually have cost inflation and wage inflation, we'll find out exactly what crypto does. But so far, as we've seen inflation rise, crypto has risen a lot faster than gold has. So right now it's being touted as an alternative to owning gold. 
and we'll see if that's true. But that's one of the pros. So if crypto does prove to be what the boomers and the millennials and certainly Generation Z in the last two especially have been moving to crypto as a replacement for gold, if that holds true, yes, and it will provide some very significant inflation protection because certainly, as we've seen, it goes up a lot faster than gold does. And I've noticed uh, in some of the stuff that I've been paying attention to that even some of the institutions are starting to cast it in a favorable eye. Institutions will always look at something that goes up dramatically because many of these institutions or pension funds or, or things like uh, – their holdings for uh, group RSPs and things like that. And they need returns to be able to pay out the obligations that they're owed at the end of the day. So institutions are starting to pay attention to this because of the oversized returns, and they need some of these returns to be able to meet their obligations down the road. I think one thing that a lot of people aren't aware of, Ron, if you're, if you're not somebody that's paid attention to this, it's, I have to admit, I'm pretty much ignorant to the whole thing, although I've been reading about it. Institutions don't have any hand in this. They're, they're not handling the money. I, I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand. And of course, especially the millennials in Generation Z, which we're going to talk about um, next week, um, they're not beholden to banks as much. In fact, with 2007 to 2009, a lot of the shenanigans the banks pulled, the younger generations don't even like financial institutions. So Bitcoin doesn't need a bank or financial institute to hold or transfer your money. And that is just fine with uh, the millennials and especially Generation Z, who are far more tech savvy than their parents are. And it doesn't bother them that uh, these, these digital coins or digital currency doesn't sit in some major financial institution. And I think in some ways they feel safer that it doesn't. And hasn't one of the attractive features of Bitcoin been, and this is from some of the television shows I watch that are fiction, but you know, a show like uh, Billions, where they talk about, you know, Bobby is investing in crypto because it's anonymous. Nobody knows you're doing it. Well, you know, one of the big issues before both the Canadian, U.S., and European governments right now is the way that governments, the way that, that many of these large tech social media giants track you. And certainly they don't like, there's a big pushback now on people who are saying, I don't like every time I use my credit card, it's being, it's being tracked by one of these tech giants. And Bitcoin literally makes the owner anonymous, and many people like that. And, of course, um, with its anonymity, uh, it's been used by criminal organizations because they can't be tracked either. But if you like to remain anonymous, Bitcoin certainly has its advantages. So what's this stat that you have here about the Bank of America? This is quite fascinating. Well... The, the Bank of America figured out that it only takes $93 million invested in Bitcoin to move the price 1%. Whereas to make gold move 1%, you've got to invest $1.86 billion. So literally, we've seen with small amounts of capital, Bitcoin 
typically in a week you'll see see it go down up or down 10 or 20 percent and so it doesn't take much buying or selling to move the price of bitcoin or it takes a lot more buying and selling to move the price of gold so if you're a trader and you're looking for something that's volatile that the price can really move up and down and you can take advantage of that as a trader well certainly bitcoin has an advantage but also with it comes more risk so let's that's the pros let's look at the cons and there is a fairly lengthy list on the on the opposite side here people haven't realized gord that bitcoin can be lost and you know i mean bitcoin has gone from 8 cents to about $60,000 so there's lots of stories of people that bought it at the beginning that are going through garbage dumps looking through for old computers or storage devices that they had on which their bitcoins were kept they're called digital wallets so if you lose your password or you misplace the storage device that your your the digital encryption is stored on there's not a Bitcoin store or some place that you can go. This is an autonomously running program. So if you lose your digital um, identity, um, you can't retrieve it. If it's lost, and these coins are inaccessible forever. And to realize how many of these coins have been lost, according to the New York Times, up to 20% of the existing 18.5 million Bitcoins in circulation have been lost by users who either forgot their passwords or literally misplaced their storage devices. So these things are gone. Uh, so you want to be very careful if you decide to buy Bitcoin that you understand the mechanics of how to store it, how to preserve it, how to access it. Because if you don't and you screw up, uh, literally, uh, you can see your coins, but you can't get access to them, so they're gone to you forever, and that could be expensive. And where you store your Bitcoin in one of these digital wallets, there's been widespread reporting of a lot of hacking going on there, right? Oh, yeah, and some of these exchange, like Mt. Goss and things like this, where their exchanges, uh, they certainly can be hacked and your Bitcoin can be stolen. And so some of these exchanges have seen, you know, I've seen somewhere there's a couple hundred million worth of the Bitcoin that's disappeared. So here again, if you purchase Bitcoin, you really have to know how to protect it. If you protect it properly, it's very tough for it to get stolen. But if you're careless with it, it can be gone in literally the blink of an eye. Okay, we touched on this. The illegal activity that seems to float around this is well documented. Yeah, in 2019, there was an academic study done that showed 46% of transactions were associated with illegal activity. So Bitcoin, if you're a drug dealer and you need to move large amounts of money, if you move it through the banking system, it can be tracked. And obviously, it's very inconvenient because they've throttled back on the issuing of large bills. The largest bill you can have is $100. So trying to move money in suitcases around is also getting to be a bit of a problem. I mean, try cross the border these days. You can cross the border with anything under 10000 If you cross the border with anything more than 10000 uh, they take all the information down. They want to know where you're going to use it, where it's going, where it came from. 
And so you have lots of very rigorous paperwork that you have to go through uh, to make that happen. So the nice thing about, uh, about these digital currencies, if you're on the uh, part of the criminal element, is the fact that uh, you can use it and you can move large amounts of money rather rather discreetly. And I've literally half of the transactions, and I've, in some places, I've seen that as many as they say, as many as 75% of the transactions were associated with illegal activity. And you have to ask yourself if you're going to play this game, do you want to be a part of that? You know, I mentioned anecdotally, I know in a couple of people that have gotten into Bitcoin, and I remember a couple of years ago watching one day talking to this this person that I knew, the volatility around this thing, you know, one day it's up here, the next day it's way down there, then it's over there. I mean, it it is a roller coaster ride. Yeah, now if you're buying it to trade it, that's one thing. But let's say you buy, you have some cryptocurrency, and you decide that you want to take Elon Musk up on his offer and buy a brand new Tesla. And so you you price out a, te- a $60,000 Tesla and you say, hmm, at the current price, one Bitcoin of $60,000 will pay for this. Well, two weeks from now is the date that you've got to pay for your Tesla, and you look, and your Bitcoin is now down to 40000 Well, that 20000 difference you're going to have to eat. Certainly Elon Musk and Tesla aren't. So if you're using it as a, as a, as a currency, as a trading vehicle to uh, – or a financial vehicle to buy and sell things, the volatility can really work against you because of the price volatility. Let's talk about availability of cryptocurrencies. I mean, there are only so many Bitcoins out there, right? I think you said 18 and a half million. So is it, is it other cryptocurrencies jump in to get on board and to fill the gap? The problem is that cryptocurrencies are not very expensive to make. They're expensive to run, and we'll get into that here in with their energy consumption in a couple of points. But virtually anyone with a tech background can set up their own cryptocurrency. So people say that eventually there's only going to be 21 million Bitcoin, for example. But there's Ethereum, and then there's Doge, and then there's there's this an endless list behind it of all these currencies that are planning to be either launched or already have been launched. And so, you know, just like people say, well, I don't want to invest in fiat currencies because governments can create as much of this stuff as they want. Well, tech people can create as much crypto as they want too. Each one has a limit on how many will be issued. But the number of different cryptocurrencies that can be issued are infinite. And if they're infinite, what is that going to do for their value? I don't think anybody knows. Well, and that's valuation is the one thing you and I have talked about in the past. We've sort of brushed by Bitcoin a couple of times. None of us seem to understand how it's valued. No one that I know of, and I've read books on cryptocurrency valuation, and no one I know has developed a methodology that will establish what a Bitcoin is really worth, if anything. Yeah, because what's and in their candid moments when you talk to the people that are promoting this, you ask them how you value it. What are the criteria or the boxes you check off to determine what is a Bitcoin actually worth? It's like a deer staring into headlights. There is no answer 
that I've seen. I mean, there's hype and there's things that uh, they will tell you, but there's no, no verifiable process that will tell you, yeah, a Bitcoin's worth this much. I mean, you can look at stocks, you can look at businesses, you can look at houses. You get an idea how much they're worth often by either the value of their assets or the value of the underlying cash flow they produce. Well, how do you value Bitcoin? You know, uh, at least you can value gold based on its scarcity. Uh, you know that an ounce of gold these days costs around $1,000 an ounce to produce. So the value of adding more gold is going to be $1,000 an ounce because that's what it takes to replace an ounce. What does it take to replace a Bitcoin? Nobody has a clue, and that's where the problems start. And then I think the next one in here, that's and it's a big corner block of this whole cryptocurrency thing, is when governments get involved. Yeah, governments are planning to issue their own cryptocurrency or digital currency. I mean, you're, already, you're having Venezuela experiment with this. The Federal Reserve came out this morning and said that they've been experimenting with uh, digital U.S. currency. The Chinese have been do, running tests with small amounts of consumers about launching a, a digital coin. So what happens when governments issue their own digital currency? Will that crowd out private issuers? Governments can also make ownership illegal. Now, I think that would be very, very tough because they'd have to outlaw the Internet. But they could make it illegal. So it's like if you have a stash of drugs on you, um, and you get caught, uh, you know, there can be uh, criminal and, and, and uh, charges laid, fines, and even jail terms. So do you want to be on that side of, uh, of this issue? And until this is more clearly defined, that could be one of your, your real problems. And, and here again, what happens if governments do crack down on this and people that do have it are faced with, with uh, criminal activity. Do you want to go there? So, but, you know, personally for me, especially the government is the 900-pound gorilla in the room, and if they issue digital currency, is that going to crowd out private issuers? What's going to happen? Well, you know, governments, uh, if, they, if they allow all these digital coins to float around, it's a big threat to them because they lose control of currency, they lose control of debt, and they lose control of interest rates. And that's how they finance their own being. And that's how they control the economy. And are they going to want to give that up? I don't think so without a fight. I mean, they might end up losing. Who knows? But it's a risk. So what about tax implications here? Cryptocurrency gains are taxed as capital gains. Now, most people, to, because they're remaining anonymous, are trading the daylights out of Bitcoin and not declaring it. Yeah, well, like, why? If but it's it, anonymous, why would you tell the government you were doing it, right? <laughs> well, you know, that's assuming that the paradigm doesn't change. And, you know, it used to be with uh, a lot of encryption, they said this thing could never be cracked. Well, if you look at most attempts at encryption over the last 20, 30 years, some ingenious individual has found a way to get around the encryption protocols and break in. Right now, cryptocurrency, the double ledger system, is, is pretty anonymous. But you're assuming that no technology will come along that will change that. And if you've got 
a 10-year track record or a five-year track record of trading this thing and you've never declared it, then all of a sudden the government through one way or another uh, is able to get access to that. Well, um, you know, they put Al Capone in jail for tax evasion and don't assume they wouldn't do that to you. All right. Energy consumption. You touched on that. Uh, this thing, because of blockchain technology and all the rest of it, it uses a tremendous amount of computing power, right? Uh, Bitcoin transactions require massive amounts of energy to power the huge computer infrastructure that forms sort of the backbone of the double ledger system and to record all the transactions that take place daily. And a Last time I looked, there was only about a quarter million transactions that took place daily. But these Bitcoin data farms, or miners as they're called, uh, on an annual basis consume more electricity than Argentina did last year. And a single transaction on Bitcoin has the same carbon footprint as about 680,000 visa transactions. And as a result, it's starting to draw attention from the environmental movement. They're going looking at this and saying, hey, all the the uh, carbon that you're producing to make Bitcoin happen. And I've, I was reading an expert saying the other day that if Bitcoin became the dominant currency, it would take all the electricity we currently produce in the world to run all the machines to be able to record all the transactions that took place. And so uh, this is going to draw the attention of the environmental movement. And because of it, uh, Bitcoin has some real drawbacks. And finally is concentration. You know, it's not like Bitcoin is widely distributed among the population. Currently, only about 2.4% of all Bitcoins, or, or sorry, 95% of all Bitcoins are held by 2.4% of Bitcoin investors. So the big whales in the room control the vast amount of Bitcoin that's out there. And of course, that's one reason you see price going up and down. We're seeing pure and simple manipulation. They're manipulating the price up. They're manipulating the price down. So they're selling as it goes up. They're buying when it hits bottom. And they're playing everybody. And personally, that's one of the big reasons that I don't go there because I know it is being played and the people that are buying it are being played. And so you want to be very, very careful with this. There are some pros, but there's lots of cons too. So if you're going to buy Bitcoin, you want to go in with your head up. Is there an ETF where we can nibble around the edges on this? Well, there's, you know, as we talk, there's been a whole bunch of launches that have just happened here over the last week uh, in both the U.S. mutual fund space and the U.S. ETF space. In Canada, surprisingly enough, we were the first to come to market with an exchange-traded fund. It came out in February, and as I say, there's a, there's a flood of them that are, that, are, that are following. It's called Purpose Bitcoin, and it trades on the TSX, and the stock symbol is BTCC, and it's hedged to the Canadian dollar. So Bitcoin is, uh, if the Canadian dollar goes up, it gives you a bit of protection. Uh, because most Bitcoins are exchanged for U.S. dollars into Bitcoin. And so there is a bit of a currency risk there. So uh, check out each day you go uh, on the Internet, you'll find more and more of these uh, ETFs and mutual funds that are rolling out, it seems like, one a day now. So uh, surprisingly enough, 
I'm just mentioning this because this was the first kid on the block. And surprisingly enough, Canadians did it. Well, an interesting topic and one that, as we say, is very timely. But boy, as you've, as you've stressed a couple of times in this episode, Ron, keep your head up and open your eyes and learn what you're dealing with here because this is the Wild West personified. Totally. All right. We're back next week. As Ron sort of hinted at, we're going to take a look at generations and demographics attached to those. We hear all these terms, baby boomer, baby boomers, generation Y, generation Z, all the rest of it. We're going to delve into that over the next few weeks here on Making Money. Remember, if you have a question for us, whether it's about Bitcoin or something else, you can reach us through letsmakemoney.ca or also through the cfcw.com portal where you can find Making Money. On behalf of the financial coach, Ron Hebert, I'm Gord Whitehead. We'll talk to you next week. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.